Shock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect upon the sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. For additional information, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. <coughs> what did cavemen dream about? Last week, I had a dream about time travel, but cavemen didn't have science fiction to read like we do. So what did they dream about? Obviously, they might have had dreams about the time they had to fight a saber-toothed tiger. Or perhaps they dreamed about killing a mammoth in cold enough climate that meat doesn't spoil all winter. Or maybe they even dreamed about finding the perfect rock to tie to a stick for a weapon. Those cavemen may not have had the language and perhaps may not have had language and perhaps they've had dreams about being able to communicate effectively with other cave people. Perhaps they dreamed about having a language. Maybe the caveman dreamed about an anthill he saw and dreamed about getting enough cavemen together to perform tasks in tandem with each other like ants do in order to make a structure like an anthill. Or perhaps they just dreamed about cavemen. Uh-oh. Is this power strip on? I'm losing power. Right. Perhaps they just dreamed about cave women. I doubt they ever had a dream about time travel because they had no context. Time wasn't even a concept back then. It always flowed in one direction, so there was no reason to think about it. After all, they had to find shelter and hunt an animal every day in order to stay alive. But there must have been people who dreamed about inventing a language or building a big wooden henge. Or better yet, a stone henge. Throw in a straw henge and a big bad wolf and you got the beginning of a nursery rhyme. Welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. I'm your host, The Madman. I had power issues. My laptop was about to die. All right, we got it all sorted out now. Welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. EK's in the background, as you see. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I want to remind you that of Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio. Become a patron. I appreciate it. $3 a month, and with inflation being the way it is, the prices have never been lower. I also have a cash app. If you want to send money through me to me through cash app, the cash tag is shockmonkeyradio. All one word, I would appreciate it. Okay, so um, uh, two days ago, I got my 100th subscriber on this YouTube channel. Yay, it only took four years. <clears throat> and so uh, I want to remind you to tell your friends, like, share, and subscribe to this channel. You know, share out my videos, share out your fav favorites. And if you remember, four years ago, I put out a video called Empty Promises, 27 March 18. So almost four years to the day, we are here at 100 subscribers. And if you remember that video, that means that Eric, EK the DJ, has to shoot me in the butt with a BB gun. Now, I brought the BB gun, all right? And so, I mean, uh, there's plenty of BBs. There's plenty of BBs in here, but I doubt you'll take more than one shot because... I'm not, I'm not doing this. Why? <laughs> I'm not gonna shoot you on camera for the internet. Why? I mean, that's how you get like more subscribers and stuff. That's how like... you get blackmailed. Oh. Well, but so you're gonna make me a liar. He's making me a liar to you people. So you're you're supposed to shoot me. Come over here and shoot me in the butt. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's legal. I don't think I can. Even if you ask me to, I don't think I can. All right. Your witness. You you are my witness now, viewer. Like, I'm, I'm the not the one watching. I need to know I have full culpability in this situation. <laughs> EK's making me the liar. I'm not the one who backed down. All right. I would have taken a shot to the butt from the BB gun, but EK just wussed out. So, sorry, dear viewer. 
you're not going to see me get shot in the butt with a BB gun, as I promised. Then again, the title of that video was Empty Promises. Now, um, I will say one thing is that uh, there was one person who would have hold me to these things. And, you know, it always makes me sad when I, when I think about it. And I, I think I should bring it up because uh, it was like two years ago, we lost uh, hit the Hill Hippie. He passed away. And um, he would have been the guy to definitely shoot me in the ass with a BB gun. He would have held me to that standard. And so, uh, but I mean, I think about that. And it, makes, it makes me a little sad because I miss him. He was a good friend. And, uh, but at the same time, I know EK wouldn't shoot me in the butt because he's that good of a friend. <laughs> Find yourself a friend like I have in EK the DJ. I will say something else is that um, uh, uh, I've, been watch I've, I've been watching this other channel uh, a lot lately called Windagoon. And, uh, you know, he's a bit long-winded for my taste. And, but, uh, you know, he does some interesting videos, interesting videos about, like, conspiracy theory iceberg. So I watched this whole series that he did. It was like, you know, 30 hours of videos on the conspiracy theory iceberg where he goes through all these different conspiracy theories. And during the course of this, making this series, uh, he went from like 800 subscribers to like 700,000 subscribers over that period of time. And I'm just like, it's like, how? And I see like how he censors himself and like uh, hedges his bets when it comes to the things he says. But additionally, when it comes to channels that are not like mine, that grow very quickly, you know, it's, it seems to me that there's a lot of talking down to people. So I, and I don't like doing that. I like, when I make an Always Sunny in Philadelphia reference, I'm going to assume that you know it. You know, if I make a Big Bad Wolf reference, I assume that you know what I'm talking about. I don't assume that my uh, uh, viewers are idiots. I don't assume you're an idiot. All right. And I think that that's, I don't know, a little bit better. A little bit, I don't know. I think it's better. But thanks for the 100 subscribers. Tell your friends. Like, share, and subscribe. Some more, and we'll just move on with the show. So those of you who are around my age, remember those first-generation Transformers. But do you remember an Autobot named Perceptor? He was a robot that changed into a microscope. Not a great microscope, but still a microscope. And I was thinking that that particular Transformer that was the coolest thing that could ever happen to a microscope. Think about it. Shockwave was a boombox that changed into a ro robot. Boombox cool, robot cool. Megatron was a gun that changed into a robot. Gun cool, robot cool. Perceptor, microsco microscope not cool, robot cool. All right? And every other Transformer was a sort of, you know, had a sort of lateral move between the things that they changed into. I had Megatron when I was a kid, and mostly I played with him in gun form because the actual toy robot was stupid looking and not nearly as cool as the cartoon Megatron. I had a friend who had Perceptor, and he never transformed him into a microscope because microscopes are not fun to play with. I wonder what Hasbro was trying to do. It's like that scene from Big. I, I don't get it. What's fun about playing with a building? Also, how often do Transformers need a microscope? Are there many biological threats to Autobots? Hey, Optimus Prime, this room is teeming with E. coli. We're robot perceptor, and the humans are, are in sealed mech suits. Thanks for being useless. Autobots, roll out. And then Perceptor has to say, I need a ride. Because let's face it, most Transformers changed into vehicles, and very few needed rides.
It's like they went out of their way to make Perceptor into a useless nerd just because he changed into a nerd toy like a microscope. I don't know what they're thinking at Hasbro in the 80s. Uh, sir, market research shows that scientists do not buy Transformers for their kids. However, microscopes are very popular in that demographic. Maybe it was that, or maybe it was the cocaine. There was a nerd Transformer. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> I need to wet my whistle here. Here in my car, I feel safest of all. I can lock all my doors. It's the only way to live. So I want to talk about road rage a little bit. Specifically, my road rage. Now, I don't get it as much anymore because now I am properly medicated. But back in the day, whenever I drove for more than 15 min minutes, I road raged hard. My blood pressure shot up into the atmosphere. Um, you ever you ever seen you ever seen that Always Sunny in uh, Philadelphia episode where Mac and Dennis move to the suburbs and Dennis is commuting to work? You know, idiot, savage, idiot. <coughs> hey, hey, it sure is a hot one today. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, that was me on the roads. Now here's a couple of funny incidents that happened to me on the road that put things into perspective for me. Here's the first story. I was stuck in traffic once on Halloween and I was fuming. I mean, you could have cooked grilled, grilled cheese on my forehead. I was hot, livid. Then a van changed lanes and pulled in behind me. I looked in my rear view mirror and I saw the driver was dressed like a clown. I reacted with a jolt because it was the last thing I expected to see when I was angry. Then the cloud noticed my reaction and made a goofy clown hoo hoo. <laughs> kind of face at me and I laughed super loud at that and it relieved all the pressure that I had that I had put upon myself and the rest of my commute was calm and serene even though the traffic did not change I was the one who changed I know it's goofy and stupid but it mattered to me all right here's another story I was driving into a parking lot and this lady in another car cut right through the parking rows and cut me off, and I had to slam on the brakes. She saw me at the last second, but it was too late because she was committed. So I started spinning up, yelling at my windshield, Idiot! Savage! Idiot! But soon, I had to find a parking sp spot, and she parked near me. I always feel a little bit better once I exit my car, so my rage subsided a little bit. But the woman came up to me and apologized saying she didn't see me and it was a mistake and I and uh and I was uh and I was I was looking at her and she was owning up to her mistake and instantly instantly I forgave her and I said it's okay don't worry about it we all make mistakes that's why pencils have erasers and I've thought about this moment a lot since then her apology and my response spoke volumes to me it doesn't really matter considering how lucky we were not to meet in a high-speed collision. My rage at her served no purpose because if she came up to me and said, F you too, pal, it's not like I would have gone off on an angry rant citing the Norse gods, and it's not like I would have kicked her ass. The incident was over, and my rage did nothing but put stress upon my blood vessels. One last story. 
Once I was speeding in the left lane and came up fast on a car that was only going to speed limit. Again, I got furious. I started ranting alone in my car. Get in the right lane if you want to go this slow. Idiot! Savage! Idiot! Then I jumped angrily into the right lane and started speeding past this savage idiot, planning to glare at the driver as I passed. But as I got alongside them, a dog popped up in the open window, looking curious, curiously at me with their tongue and bandana flapping in the wind. Instantly, I softened and shouted, Oh, look at you, buddy! What a cute puppy! And I forgot all of my rage. The last blood-boiling 30 seconds were gone. And that's when I first started thinking that my hatred of humans was personal and a biased vendetta. It's way harder for me to be angry at dogs, even though the dog was not driving. It's weird. You ever seen that video of the two dogs barking and growling at each other from behind a fence, and then the human opens the gate, and then they start sniffing each other pensively? That's us. That's us humans in cars here in my car where the image breaks down. Will you visit me, please, when I open my door in cars? Now, I know this may not have been what you expected from me. Perhaps you hoped for a story of me getting into a fight on the side of I-95. But that kind of thing never happened to me. Even if it did, it would not serve anyone for me to tell a story about how went about a time when I lost my battle with my anger. All right, we got one more thing to go before we get into the news. <clears throat> so I had a chance to go to Woodstock in 1994, the, uh, the 25th anniversary of the original Woodstock. Uh, in 1994, I was 17, and I was working as a busboy at Carlos, Carlos Kelly's, and a bunch of the hot chicks were trying to take work off that summer to go to Woodstock, and they invited me, but I declined. You know, remember, this was 1994, and I hated grunge people and grunge music, so most of the bands that were scheduled to be there, I didn't like. Don't get me wrong, there were some bands I would have liked to have seen. Blues Traveler, Collective Soul, Blind Melon, Aerosmith, The Cranberries, Almond Brothers, and The Red Hot Chili Peppers. But I decided not to go, even though I probably could have banged one of my hot co-workers. But when they came back, they told me everything that happened, and I found out that I had made the right call. First of all, they were stupid for even buying a ticket, because apparently only one in, peop one in three people uh, that were there even bought a ticket. All right? Uh, they told me that there was security there trying to stop people from drinking and doing drugs, which is ridiculous for frickin' Woodstock. But also they tried to stop people from bringing in their own food. They said it was super commercialized and the vendor prices were super high, like NFL high, one of the girls said. Which I assume she means like if you go to a, like a professional football game, they're those prices. All right, they also said that, like, on the first day, some, some jackass performer shot a rifle into the air from the stage. Uh, the second day, they said it started raining and the whole thing be became a mud fest. They said people threw mud at Primus, which is disrespectful, if you ask me. And no, I understand the point. I know, why, I know which awful song Primus was known for. They said it just became this giant mud party. And it just sounds horrible to me. I made the right call. But most of all, I was pissed at the commercialism. 
The security not allowing not only alcohol and drugs, but friggin' food too. Now, this is the point of Woodstock. This is the difference between the 1969 Woodstock and the 1994 Woodstock. In the 1969 Woodstock, you know, the corporations, the music corporations, didn't want, didn't get their hooks into that 1969 Woodstock, but they sure got them in in that in Woodstock in '94 and ever since. And that's what irritates me, you know, when you're having like all this security there and uh, you know it's trying to stop people from drinking and doing drugs and make sure that they pay the exorbitant prices that were at the vendors, you know, that's that seems un-American to me and it seems like non-festival-like. You know, I understand when you go to these concerts these days, you know, the, pr- the pr- ticket prices are crazy. You know, the vendor prices are crazy. I get it. And that's just the way it's been. It's the way it's been. But in 1994, you know, I wanted to go to a Woodstock that was like the 69 Woodstock. You know, a, a few days of peace and love, you know, without being bombarded by all the commercialism, you know, that is, I guess, you know, America's, I don't know, flaw. And that's what bothered me about it. You know, I, I would have liked to have gone, but I'm glad I didn't because of the way it, it sort of corrupted the thing. You know, it, it it reminded me of like Jesus, you know, going into the temple and finding all the people vending. You know, in many ways, like Woodstock is kind of like a temple, a temple that worships, you know, music, you know, like great music of the era. And, you know, it made, it made me think like if I went if I went to Woodstock in 1994, I would have made a, like a whip out of chords and started like uh, overturning the money changing tables you know what i'm saying because it's it it's it seems disrespectful seems disrespectful to the idea of woodstock anyway i feel like i made the right call in that regard and so that's just a little story i thought about the other day i was thinking about how those hot chicks that hey you want to go to woodstock with us Uh, no (laughs) grunge is awful no, no. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the news worth knowing. No news is bad news, I guess. All right. So let's talk about Katanji Brown Jackson. All right. Uh, so uh, Biden's Supreme Court pick refuses to de- define the word woman. President Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown Jackson, refused to define the word woman on the second day of her confirmation hearings before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee pressed Jackson on transgender issues uh, Tuesday night. Quote, do you agree that schools should teach children that they can choose their gender? Blackburn asked. After she read a quote from Jackson regarding uh, Georgetown Day School, the private school on on whose board Brown serves. Jackson responded by noting that Georgetown Day School is private. When Blackburn pressed again, uh, asking the ju- for the judge's opinion, Jackson said, Senator, I'm not making comments on what schools can teach. Uh, Blackburn then turned to quote uh, the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth, ba- Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who wrote the majority opinion in U.S. versus Virginia in 1996, which, uh, in which the court struck down Virginia Military Institute's mail-only admissions policy. Quotes, uh, supposed inherent differences are no longer accepted as a ground for race or na- national origin classifications, Blackburn said, quoting Ginsburg. Physical differences between men and women, however, are enduring. The two sexes are not fungible. The, a community made up of exclusively of one sex is different from a community composed of both. Quote, do you agree that Justice Ginsburg 
with Justice Ginsburg that there are physical differences between men and women that are enduring, the senator asked. And she responded, um, Senator, respectfully, I'm not familiar with that particular quote or case, so it's hard for me to comment, she responded. <laughs> quote, do you interpret Justice Ginsburg's meaning of men and women as male and female, Blackburn pressed. Jackson did not comment on that matter. Can you provide a definition for the word woman, the senator asked. Uh, can I provide a definition? No. Jackson responded, I can't. You can't? Blackburn asked. Not in this context, I'm not a biologist, the judge replied. Quote, do you believe in the meaning uh, of the word woman is so unclear that, and controversial that you can't give me a definition, Blackburn pressed? Quote, Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address, address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the law and I decide, Jackson said. Blackburn argued that the fact you cannot give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. And that's all I want to read of this article. And, you know, stop. Stop these proceedings. She's clearly unqualified. Clearly. And this isn't even the worst thing. All right. They're also asking her questions about, like, uh, por uh, child pornographers that she had get, uh, passed lenient sentences on. That's, this is not even the worst thing. All right. Additionally, Ted Cruz, like, uh, uh, went after her for critical race theory as well. All right. This judge is clearly not qualified for the job. If you cannot, if you need to, like, do extensive study, consult a biologist, and read the law to understand what a woman is. All right, I don't know if any of you have seen that interview of Little Boosie where he went off, but it is excellent. <laughs> it is excellent. <clears throat> These are the basics, basic facts of life. And the idea that some people are trying to change the very concept of very simple definitions of like what a man is and what a woman is, you know, that shows a level of insanity, a, 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 an attempt to alter reality through language that is perverse and insane this woman is clearly unqualified and if and if uh kamala harris has has taught us anything is that if you just pick a candidate based upon their their skin color or their gender you know these are not the requirements that you need for that position all right your your you know what your hair color doesn't make you a better lawyer you know what i'm saying that stuff is ridiculous. Anyway, so I'm just, I'm pissed off that <laughs> Senator Ted Cruz made that big sign. And it was like, that, did you use our taxpayer dollars to make that sign to make that point, Senator Cruz? Yeah, I'm on your side. I'm a Republican too. But that's a waste of money. <laughs> Why can't you just say it? <laughs> oh, my God. And so that's why we need to stop these hearings. She's clearly unqualified, and we, you know, the, the Biden administration needs to make another pick. All right? And it just irritates me how much money they waste with nonsense like this. It's like, Senator Cruz, come now. <laughs> that, was a, that was expensive poster you made. <laughs> All right, let's go on to this next story. Uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov issues chilling warning about direct clash with NATO. Uh, Russian Foreign, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov warned that if NATO sends peacekeepers into Ukraine in Rus amid Russia's invasion, it will lead to a direct military clash between Russian, and Russian forces and the alliance. 
quote, sending NATO peacekeepers to Ukraine would lead to a direct clash between the armed forces of the Russian Federation and the alliance, Lavrov said Wednesday morning, according to a Russian state news agency, TASS. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Linda Thomas-Greenfield on Sunday ruled out the possibility of the U.S. taking part in peacekeeping operations inside Ukraine, stating that the Biden administration will not send U.S. troops into the country. Quote, the president has been very clear that we will not put American troops on the ground in Ukraine, Thomas Greenfield said. We don't want to escalate this into a war with the United States. Quote, but we will support our NATO allies, she said. Biden has made clear that there, uh, that if there is an attack on any of our NATO allies under Article 5, that we will support those countries and defend those countries. The Polish outlet Onet PL.PL, O-N-E-T dot P-L, uh, reportedly gained access to a secret project at Poland's Ministry of National Defense, aiming to deploy peacekeepers from a number of NATO countries to the U to Ukraine. Uh, Warsaw is expected to officially present it to NATO summit on March 24th. The U.S. will not participate, but they may agree to a mission involving some other countries. Lavrov's, Lavrov's warning suggests that Russia would consider the presence of NATO peacekeepers in mil a military escalation and a cause of war against the alliance. The war has dragged, dragged on for about a month as Russia's superior troop numbers have run into unexpectedly fierce Ukrainian resistance. The battle in the southern port city of Mariupol has grown increasingly fierce while cities like Ukraine's, uh, Ukraine's capital, Kiev, and its second, second city, Kharkiv, are uh, effectively under siege. Russia has also targeted cities in the west of the country, not far from the border with Poland, uh, where more than 2 million of Ukraine's 3 million refugees have reportedly fl fled. All right, so here's the thing about Russia. All they have are threats right now. They can't even take over one small country in Europe. All right? And it that's why they're making these threats, because they know if the U.S. gets involved, it's over for them. It's over for them. You know? Two, two carrier battle groups, and it's over for them. You know? We wouldn't even necessarily have to put boots on the ground. We just start providing air cover for the Ukrainians, and they will take back their country. That's all it takes. Few U.S. drones, few U.S. Uh, sorties, and it's over for Russia. Russia talks a big game. They want to pretend that they're a first world power. And yeah, they have nukes. Yeah, they do. And we should be wary of that. And that's why we have been hesitant to you know, get any more involved. But at the same time, in a conventional warfare kind of state, they're not really doing very well. You know what I'm saying? Additionally, when you have like an authoritarian state like that, corruption and uh, uh, lying <laughs> to your superiors happens way more than it does like in a free country like the U.S. You know, when you, when you threaten people, you know, under penalty of death, you know, they're just going to, you know, be yes men. They're going to say whatever you want to hear, but then do something else. And plus, you have like things like a bunch of people like uh, leaving the military, Russian military, because they don't agree with this action. You know, because you know these these soldiers, they, they thought it was like, oh, we're going to be liberators of Ukraine. They're, we're going to be welcomed with open arms and stuff like that. And then they're finding it's like, oh, even the citizens are arming up against us. All right. You want to pretend like Russia is some great big power because of the landmass that they control, you know, that they're really spread quite thin. Their, their initial offensive into Ukraine uh, got them bogged down very quickly.
All right. And then they had to like summon like uh, troops from other locations, which makes their borders and stuff weaker. All right. And con uh, considering the losses they've sustained so far, if NATO gets involved, if the U.S. gets involved, they're screwed. So all Russia has, has th is threats. And the only real worry is if are, are we going to push them to a wall, push them to a point where they may use nukes or chemical or biological warfare. That's a serious concern. So we need to allow an out for Putin, but Putin's getting up there in, the, in, in years. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, if it comes out in the next year or so that he has like brain cancer or something like that. It wouldn't surprise me. All right? But we have to provide a way for Putin to gracefully exit this horrible decision. Anyway, just me and my BB gun against Putin. Let's, let's do it. This is my rifle. This is my gun. There are many like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> All right, let's go on to this next story. Who will stand up for me and other women being beaten by biological males like Leah Thomas? So this is obviously kind of an opinion piece, <coughs> but it's important nonetheless. Uh, quote, as a collegiate, I'm quoting somebody else. This is not me talking. As a collegiate female athlete, I think I could safely say that I wasn't alone in being utterly dismayed to see a biological male, UPenn's Leah Thomas, trounce all the female competitors at the NCAA Women's Swimming uh, Championship 500-yard freestyle on March 17th. I am a runner for Su Southern Utah University. College competition has its share of difficulties, obvious and not so obvious. But eventually, you find your groove, mentally and physically, making new friends among your teammates, placing in meets, and setting new personal bests. For female athletes like me, it's all worth it. Not just because you become a stronger, more confident person and competitor, but because you are because of the pure joy that comes with working as hard as you can and doing your very best. Maybe you just won a medal or took a few seconds off your best time. Perhaps you pushed one of your teammates to run faster in place too. There's just no feeling like that. The first sign that this all might be changing came the day our, our coach told us that a Montana male student who first competed in the men's division will soon be running against us in the women's division. We were shocked. It didn't sound real, and I wondered how this could possibly be happening. After all, with a man's building strength, a biological male athlete could po uh, probably have a big impact on our races. And since I'd be running in the most, uh, most of the same races, I knew I'd be facing a particular challenge. How much of a challenge became clear to me the first time we lined up against each other at the cross-country meet. As I looked down the starting line, the athlete's six-foot-four frame seemed to tower over the rest of the competition. This athlete was a full foot taller than me. You're crouched at the starting line next to a half-dozen other girls about your size, and then you see a biological male athlete looming beside you. And those muscles. And you know, this isn't fair. It isn't right. To me... This was the first reminder of many, of many that if you don't, if things don't change, racing was never going to be the same. None of the female athletes quite know what to say or how to respond to this, but almost all of us mention it among ourselves. And almost to a woman, they agree that this isn't right. That became even more clear when in one of our races, the biological male athlete's time pushed one of my teammates out of the all-conference title. My friend didn't say anything. But it hurts badly to lose an opportunity that you can never get back because of something that is so obviously unfair. Two years ago, in two races at the Big Sky Indoor Track and Field Championships, I ran against the same bi biological male athlete 
who came in 15th place in 300 in 3,000 meters with a time of 18 seconds better than mine, nudging, nudging me out of the top 25. In the mile, this athlete took first, beating me, beating me by 22 seconds and keeping me out of the top 15. If you watch that video of the mile run, you'll see the biological male athlete came in in a full four and a half seconds ahead of the nearest competition and didn't even seem to be breathing hard. All right, there's, there's more to this, but you get the idea, right? These, these guys are cheaters. They're mediocre athletes in their proper divisions. And so they all of a sudden, they, oh, I'm a girl today. And so they start competing against women, you know, then they start blowing them away. And that's cheating. That's cheating. You know, the IOC, the, the IOC may say is like, we don't want doping, quote unquote, we don't want doping. But that's the point. When, when you have like testosterone coursing through your blood, you know, against a bunch of competitors who do not have that, you are cheating. That's a hormone. <laughs> you know? You are cheating. It reminds me of, um, oh, shit, what's his name? Uh, Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman, when he would go around to these wrestling matches and say, oh, I'm smarter than a woman. I'm stronger than a woman. No woman could beat me. And he's wrestling them and stuff like that. You know, first of all, he knew how to play a villain. Number one, you get all the females against you. And then probably about 50% of the men against you as well for, you know, being cruel to women. That's being cruel to women. All right. Those women, like when you got to understand, it's like once these uh, women said, hey, we want to participate in sports too. We said, well, we got to put you in another division because the times that the times and scores that men have are just eclipse women's times and scores. It's, it's like uh, even like in wrestling and boxing and UFC, there, there's weight classes. You don't want a two hundred uh, six foot nine, 250 pound guy fighting a 150 pound, five foot eight guy. It's just not fair. And these guys are, are, are cheating in order to like like get themselves into a better school, get themselves a some sort of like a sponsorship deal, or get uh, you know get to um, even professional sports. They're cheating for their own personal gain, at the cost of women who go out there every day doing this right and competing on fair terms with everybody else. You know, it's like the Flash showing up to the track meet and everyone's like, "This doesn't seem fair." At least get Superman to race him. Anyway. I just, it, it, and it really irritates me that, you know, women, women generally are kind to a fault. They are kind to a fault. They want to be understanding to somebody who's going through some gender confusion issues. Women are great that way. That's what I love about women is that they are kind to a fault. But there's got to be some testosterone. There's got to be a big set of balls in the room to say, no, you have a set of balls and you shouldn't be in this. Get out of the pool, as little Boosie says. Get out of the pool. <coughs> anyway, let's rant about Russia some more in <laughs> this next news story. Uh, Brittany Griner, forgive me if I got that name wrong, could spend up to five years in a Russian labor camp, experts say. So get this, U.S. Olympic gold medalist and WNBA champion Brittany Griner, Griner could face up to five years in a Russian labor camp after she was arrested in the country last month, an expert said. Griner, a 31-year-old Phoenix Mercury basketball star, 
has not been seen since she was since she was arrested in Russia last month after Russian officials allegedly found vape cartridges in her luggage and accused her of attempting to smuggle drugs in the country. Russian ex, uh, law expert Peter Mags of the University of Illinois College of Law predicted that her pending legal case could result into a five to ten year prison sentence, which could also include time spent at a labor camp or a complete dismissal and exportation from the country. Sorry, had to answer that. All right. Um, quote, you're talking about five years, not jail time, but a labor camp, he said. One thing I find a little worrisome is this extension of her preliminary holding from two months to three months because you have to go to a higher authority to get it lengthened. It is illegal to bring all sorts of drugs into the country, Russia, including cannabis oil, Mag said. The law professor also speculated that Griner could be completely innocent of the accusations against her as Russian authorities have been known to plant drugs on people to arrest them under false pretenses if the regime wanted to get them in trouble. We don't know what really happened, he added. The WNBA released a statement that called the international arrest extremely difficult, but added that they're working closely with U.S. government to get Griner returned safely. Quote, this continues to be a complex situation, extremely difficult for Brittany and her family, who are all hoping for a swift revolution, resolution, the statement said, according to Reuters. Our number one priority remains her safe return. So here's the thing, you know, uh, when you're traveling through international, <laughs> you know, places, you really shouldn't have stuff that, you know, uh, other countries would consider illegal, uh, you know, because the last thing you want to do is go to jail in any other country than the United States. The United States is so lenient <laughs> on criminals that you really don't want to go to jail anywhere else. I'm giving you a signal. So, uh, all right, uh. And so uh, you, you don't want to be traveling. It's like, I know if you're like, oh, I have a prescription for this. Y yeah, but in the United States, you know, <laughs> if you, uh, your prescription is not necessarily valid in Russia. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why they would have, I don't know why Russia would plant dr uh, drugs on a WNBA star. Uh, I, I don't see what they could possibly gain out of that. But uh, I don't know perhaps trying to make Russian supermen or something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it, it just, you got to be careful when traveling abroad with uh, items that can be considered illegal in other countries. All right, first of all. Second of all, you know, Russia are, is a country full of assholes. All right, no offense, Russians. But, I mean, in general, it's like, you know, they're, they're not as liberal as we are. You know, we are very liberal and tolerant. In America. <clears throat> and unfortunately, people people like Brittany Griner need to go to places like Russia to understand that fact. You know, that's what I learned when I was in the Navy traveling to other countries and seeing like, wow, every 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 other country but the United States is pretty much a shithole. <laughs> Seriously. Anyway, we got a got two more stories just to lighten up the mood before we get out of here for the week. So Hillary Clinton is trolled on Twitter after requesting movie suggest suggestions following a COVID diagnosis. <laughs> God, I love the internet. So former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton met 
with ridicule on Twitter Tuesday after asking her followers for movie suggestions she and her husband could watch while they quarantine at home following her positive COVID-19 diagnosis. Quote, well, I've, I've tested positive for COVID, Clinton74 wrote in a tweet. I've got some mild cold symptoms, but I'm feeling fine. Good. Good for her. In another tweet, Clinton noted that her husband, for, former President Bill Clinton, 75, tested negative and is also in quarantine until the, quote, household is fully clear, fully in the clear. Quote, Bill tested negative and is feeling fine, she wrote, because you know, it's not like they're touching or kissing each other. <laughs> Not like you'll ever get close to her, close enough to her to get it. Uh, she wrote, uh, "Quote: He's quarantining until our household is fully in the clear. Movie recommendations appreciated." So, in response to this, Juanita Broderick, who publicly accused Bill Clinton of raping her in 1978 while he was an Attorney General of Arkansas, urged the former First Lady to give her husband, <laughs> give her husband her book about the alleged incident instead of watching a movie. Quote, maybe give him a book to read. <laughs> Broderick wrote, along with a picture of the book, some, uh, some ice on that, How I Survived Being Raped by Bill Clinton. That's the name of her book, Juanita Broderick. Uh, many users, such as comedian Tim Dillon, recommended that the Clintons watch Primary Colors, a 1998 film starring John Travolta. The movie, directed by Mike Nichols, was uh, based loosely on Clinton's 1992 run for the White House and features a charismatic politician with a wandering eye whose wife is very ambitious. <laughs> Others recommended The Plot Against the President, a documentary from filmmaker Amanda, Amanda Milius, forgive me, that purports to present evidence of a conspiracy against former President Trump. <laughs> Turning Point USA tweeted in response, Murder, she wrote. <laughs> uh, <coughs> excuse me. That was from uh, Attorney Point USA Chief Creative Officer Benny Johnson. Uh, many users, users uh, including Republican New York City Council member, member Joe Borelli, recommended that the former Secretary of State watch 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, a 2016 action film starring John Krasinski that recounted the harrowing 2012 attack against the U.S. consulate in Benghazi liberal. Clinton faced ex uh, intense criticism at the time for the Obama administration's response to the attack, which led to the death of U.S. Ambassador Chris Stevens at the hands of Islamic radicals. Quote, how is it that each and every sing single response, not impeachment, American crime story? <laughs> Asked journalist Ora Bogato, uh, echoing many other users. The latest season of the uh, FX series recounted the Monica Lewinsky scandal, which led to Clinton's impeachment in 1998. Journalist Kyle Becker uh, tweeted simply, the guilty. <laughs> God, I love the internet. I mean, when you're somebody like Hillary Clinton, I mean, you got to expect that a certain amount of that. You know. You can't, you can't murder all the people who don't like you. <laughs> and, you know, I think there's like, you know, like most inventions... The internet is a double-edged sword. You know, there's good things about it. There's bad things about it. This is one of those good things that I like about it. Now, get to this last story, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, New York City Hotel Doorman helps foil attacker who allegedly punched a nine-year-old girl, says, I'm not a hero. Not showing off. I just showed up. Neil Johnson, the doorman in the Plaza Hotel in New York City, is being hailed as a hero after he detained a man who randomly attacked a nine-year-old girl. Quote, first of all, I'm not a hero, Johnson said on Fox and Friends first Wednesday. Uh, there was a situation, and I showed up. Johnson told host uh, Carly Shim Shimkus, I don't know, I don't watch that stuff, 
that he heard a man screaming, which wasn't initially a cause for concern, but then he heard a woman screaming. He ran to the, uh, he ran to the, he ran to the woman and found her with a child and a baby carriage being followed quickly by a man who was gaining ground on them. She told Johnson the man had assaulted her daughter. Rahim Ramsaran, a 27-year-old, the 27-year-old suspect, allegedly punched the young girl unprovoked. Johnson said it was clear Ramsaran was mentally ill. Quote, I turned towards the guy and started yelling at him not to move, Johnson said. Johnson and another man stayed with Ramsaran until police arrived and took him into custody. He said Ramsaran claimed uh, remained calm when, the, when approached by police, which kept the situation from escalating further. Johnson's run-in with the attacker came as New York City's crime rate in February of 2022 jumped 58% overall compared to February of 2021. The New York Police Department reported that every major crime index uh, category saw an increase. Quote, New Yorkers deserve, New Yorkers deserve better, NYPD Commissioner uh, Keyshant Sewell, Sewell told, uh, said. Despite Mayor Attic, Eric Adams' of deployment of additional police officers, New York subway uh, crime reportedly skyrocketed more than 200% in the week following the new crackdown efforts. Fortunately, Johnson said, Ramsarin did not have a weapon. Johnson, however, said he never feared for his own safety. Quote, when you hear a woman screaming, and when you see the visual of a woman with a baby carriage and a little girl running away screaming from a guy, you, you just got to help, he said. Good for you. And, you know, it, it's not like he had to fight this guy. He doesn't say anything about, like, a confrontation or a fight that happened between them. He just confronted him. You know, you don't, sometimes, you don't have to show off. You just need to show up sometimes. And that's what this guy, this is what this guy did. He did for his fellow human being. And more people need to, be, need to do that, especially in an era where the police aren't doing a damn thing. <clears throat> you, see all these, you see all these videos of people, like, uh, just snatching stuff out of the store and walking out the front door. I just wish more civilians would kick the crap out of them. I know it's probably not the right thing to do, but, you know, it's like I said, you know, in a place like New York or like uh, or San Francisco or something like that, and you got a riot, people trying to break into Gucci and, you know, you know, 200 people are storming in your store to raid the shelves. And if you had a gun, you don't need to shoot them all. You need to shoot one or two and then boom, they're all leaving. You know what I'm saying? There's a deterrence factor when it comes to that. You know, and this guy was lucky that this uh, mentally ill guy didn't have a weapon, you know, but who knows, you know, what could have happened. It could have been way worse, but it takes a lot of guts. It takes the intestinal fortitude to stand up for the right thing. And I wish more people would do that. I wish more people would stand up and do the right thing when it comes to dudes swimming in, you know, in, in NCAA women's finals. All right. To, you know, some lady screaming on the streets of New York. We all need to take part in that, in that idea to help your fellow human beings whenever you can. Anyway, this is going to be the end of the show. I want to remind you again to go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio. Become a patron. I would appreciate it very much. $3 a month. Not that much. You can also advertise with us there. I would appreciate that. You can also send me money through the cash app. Use the cash tag shockmonkeyradio, all one word. I would appreciate that. And if you're interested in reading my books, I have books available on Amazon. Search for the author Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's. I really should make a graphic for that sometime. Maybe I'll do that this week. Two, uh, Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's. I got the Bunny Years of Memoir. I got the Ravings of a Madman. And I got the Three Eggs of 13 books. Be sure to check that, those out real cheap. I would appreciate that as well. And so this has been Shock Monkey Radio. I'm your host, the Madman, and I love you. <laughs>